Let me ask you a question. What would you think, or what would you even say, if you were bold enough to say, if I told you that about a relationship in my life that was really meaningful, but I never was able to find time to spend with that person? Or whenever I was with them, I was distracted or preoccupied, and I wasn't able to give them my time and attention? You might tell me, you know, John, I don't think that relationship is as close or as serious as you think it is. Uh, maybe you're a little deluded or not seeing things the way they really are. On Mother's Day, it's a day in which we want to honor our moms. And one of the things that we hear and are reminded, and maybe some of you shared this with your mom in the, verbally already today or in the form of a card or, some, or a note, is the fact that moms are always there and they're always present. And they, they often seem like the glue in a family. And... Um, I talked to someone recently who um, their, their mom was no longer, no longer alive and they said it's like the glue disappeared and our family was very fragmented because of her not being there. And why is that about a mom? Often that's because of, the case that, because of the fact that they've spent the time and effort to get to know the individuals in the family and stay engaged with them and know what's going on in their lives and know the challenges and struggles and the important days and the significant events. They've done all the important things and the needful things for a relationship to matter. The converse is true that, and maybe you've experienced this, where you've had a relationship with someone you were really close to, and you didn't see one another as much, and you didn't spend as much time together, and you didn't interact with one another in the ways that you had, and slowly over time that relationship just drifted apart, and maybe sadly it even came to an end. This morning I want to talk with you about the relationship that I believe is most important for people who claim to be Christ followers or claim to know Jesus and what it takes for that relationship to grow and deepen. If you haven't been with us over the past few weeks, uh, we've been in a series of uh, messages entitled Moving Day. Um, if you haven't heard, um, in four weeks from today, we will not be meeting here. We'll be meeting in our new facility um, up in Reinholds, and we're excited and looking forward to that day happening. And... In preparation for that day, we realized all the things that are going to change. Um, you know, we're realizing all the things that we will not be doing that we have been doing. Um, the things that have been a part of just being in church and going to church here will change. Um, some of you have finally migrated towards your new seats, you know, and the seating arrangement that we've made here. Some of you are still trying to figure out where your new seating spot's going to be. You'll have to find a new parking spot up there because there'll be different places to park. So all these things will be new that we'll have to navigate our way around in a new space. But the things we wanted to make very clear are the things that were um, important for us here at CCC. Our purpose, what we're deeply committed to. Our values, the things that drive us, the things that are the anchors for our church and for our ministry and the way we function. And so that's what we've been talking about the last four weeks. Um, now, before we get started, let me just see how good your memory is. We've been talking about our core purpose, what we're all about, and it starts with the word, word love. Can anybody help me with that? It's what? Love God fully. Okay, that's, it's going to come up here. Love God fully. And the second part, when we love God fully, what else do we do? We love others deeply. We love others that was on the screen. That's why you're so good at it. It's like, how did they figure that one out? And they didn't know the first one. Um, but that's what we've been talking about, that that's what we're about here at CCC. At the core of who we are, we want to be a place that is going to invite men and women and children and students into knowing and experiencing the love that God has for them in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And what we believe is when that comes into our lives, when we know and experience that, His amazing selfless sacrifice on our behalf and His unconditional love, then something transformational happens in our lives and we have this capacity to pour this love out into the lives of others. And this love is not because we feel guilty or we feel like we should. This is something we can't really even put words to. It's just something that God does in our hearts and lives and we are willing to sacrifice selflessly for every person that we cross paths with. And so we've described it a little bit more in detail in this, to love God fully. And Jesus said, with my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others deeply. And we describe this as the way God loves me. Selfless, sacrificial love. And then each week we've talked about one of the values that's an anchor. The first week we talked about the story of the woman at the well. A woman who was separated from Jesus by multiple boundaries that Jesus stepped right over and moved right to her as he graciously accepted her. And then we talked at the second week about how we are born into this family of origin with rules and ways that families love and relate to one another. But God, when he transforms our hearts and lives, he invites us to be a part of the family of God his family, and there's a new way that we live and a new way that we relate. And we talked about that value as being healthy relationships. And then last week we talked about serving. Not serving because we have to, not serving because we feel guilty if we don't, but serving out of heart that says, God has done so much amazing things for me. His mercy in my life is new every day. And because of such an amazing heart, I want to find a way to give my life back to Him and humbly surrender and serve God. And we challenged you, I challenged you last week to ask, why do I serve? Why do I serve? Does it come out of a full heart filled with gratitude to God to say, how can I use my gifts and abilities to make a difference in someone else's life? Well, this week, the value that we're going to talk about is a value entitled intentional rhythms. Intentional rhythms. And out of all of them so far, this one might require the most explanation, but as I've sat with it, I've realized that this maybe should be the first value because I think a lot of things flow out of this. And the way I would describe this value is this. It's a slow down pace of life that allows me to enjoy being with God and with others. With God and with others. And this morning I want to look at a daily rhythm and a weekly rhythm and talk about that with you. And these are concepts that I've been looking at and thinking at about and integrating into my life and we've been talking about as a staff and you've heard me talk about them here over and over again for a number of, for a number of years. But some of the specifics today I've taken from a resource um, by a pastor in New York City named Pete Scazzaro in his book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. When we talk about rhythms, the first thing that we want to do is we want to acknowledge that God has created everything in his world with a sense of rhythm. Everything. And I'm not just talking about your ability to tap your foot or keep time. That's not what we're talking about. Because uh, um, some of us are good at that and some of us aren't. But uh, we can all look around our world that we live in and see a sense of rhythm. It really began in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1. First book in your Bibles. First chapter. Genesis 1. If you don't have a Bible, our guys have some and they're passing, out, passing them out to you. And love to have you follow along with us this morning. Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, if you read down in verse 5, it says this. It says, evening and there was morning the first day. And then you read down a few verses later and you see evening and morning the second day. And a few more verses, evening and morning the third day. 
Now you might wonder, why did they say evening instead of morning and evening? Why did they start with the evening? Because in the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew mind, when the sun went down, when you were able to have a meal with your family and rest, that is when life begins. That is when life begins. And so evening and morning are the first day. Evening and morning are the second day. Evening and morning are the third day. And God established this rhythm. You read through it over and over and over and over again. And there's this rhythm and flow to it. And not only did God establish that, but if we look around our world, what do we see? We see that the sun comes up and the sun goes down. We see that the seasons change. What season are we in now? The season of what? Spring. And what season are we looking forward to? Summer. Some, some of you know I'm not looking forward to summer. Well, I'm, we're looking forward to summer. So, um, you know, and that's just part of the rhythm that we experience. It's our, is part of our lives. When you put your fingers into your neck or hold them on your hand, what do you feel? Your pulse or your heartbeat, right? Hopefully, you feel a pulse and a heartbeat. Some of you, I'm not sure out there this morning, you know, but um, you know, when you think about your day, what do you do every day? You wake up, you um, you eat. You drink, and then you sleep. That's part of the rhythm of life. And you can't go without those things for very long. You can do it for a short time, but you can't go without those things for very long, or you will not be able to function effectively. So, our, our, so God has created the world with a sense of rhythm. The place we live has rhythms. Our bodies have rhythms. And so the question is, what is a daily rhythm of being with God look like? What does a daily rhythm of being with God look like? We have rhythms all around us, everywhere around us. You see them, everywhere. But what does that look like, a rhythm of being with God? Notice I did not say, when do you have your devotions? I did not say, what does your quiet time look like? I didn't say, how are you doing on your Bible reading? Because sometimes those, although good activities and practices in our lives, can simply produce in us a sense of false guilt or a sense of pride in our accomplishment and really don't lead us to a place of being with the God of the heavens. Ladies, how would you feel if you... Your husband came home and he gave you a kiss and then you heard him talking to his buddy on the phone and said, I did what I had to do tonight so the evening should go well. You might find something close by to throw at him or kick him or something like that, you know. Or, or guys, how would you feel if you overheard your wife talking to a girlfriend and said, fed him a good meal so he shouldn't have any problems today, you know. But I hear statements that people who are Christ followers make all the time that seem to reflect those kinds of of perspectives. Oh, I just haven't spent any time with God, and so uh, the day's just going to go horrible. It's just going to be awful, you know. It's, it's kind of like we view, you know, God sitting up there on His throne and uh, waiting, and, oh, I didn't see them today. All right, you guess what? You know, H-E double toothpicks coming down on them today. You know, I mean, that's... And, but this is kind of how we view God, isn't it? You know? And we, we live with this sense that, you know, I just never spend enough time with God. I never do enough, never do enough. And I, I find myself scratching my head and thinking, I'm just not sure that's the way God wants us to relate to Him. Because I think if God is a God who loves us, and God is a God who longs for a relationship, and He longs for us a relationship with us so much, He was willing to sacrifice His one and only Son 
that he's a father waiting for his kids to be with him. And somehow I think we've made it simply a checklist or a list of rules and obligations and we've lost the sense of God longing to be with us. If you're there in your Bibles in Genesis 1, if you turn over to Genesis 2, um, it kind of retells a little bit of Genesis 1 in a little bit different way. And it talks about God creating man. And then look in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I don't know if you realize that work existed before sin. So, you know, you can say your job is evil and your job is horrible and you'll be glad when you don't have to work, but... Likely, work was here before sin, work will be here after sin, which means they're probably going to be working in heaven. Now, you'll get to enjoy it. Some of you find that hard fet, far-fetched that you would enjoy work, but uh, that's the way God's designed us. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 16. He says, And the Lord God commanded, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil, for when you eat, you'll certainly die. So God said, I want you to work. And then he said, I want to put some boundaries on what that looks like. But there's things here for you to enjoy. A little bit later in, verse, in chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned and ate of that tree, the Bible describes God walking through the garden in the cool of the evening and them hiding from him. And it really pictures that this was an activity that they did daily. That they did their work and then they were with God. And they slow down to be with Him. And it seems like God has this pattern in our lives that He wants us to fulfill of action then passivity, of striving then letting go, of doing all we can and then be carried away by God to be with Him. And too often I think our time with God, when we think about what that is, it's just one more thing to do that day, like brushing my teeth. And there's not a sense that the creator of the universe is waiting for you and I to slow down our lives to just be with him. David paused, as the Bible says, for seven times throughout the day to praise God. The story of Daniel is a story of a man who would pause three times throughout his day to just turn his face towards his homeland, the city of Jerusalem, and pray to his God. Devout Jews often pause two or three times throughout the day, and I wonder what it would look like for us not just to feel like I did my obligation in the morning, but to find a way to pause throughout the day on an occasional basis to reconnect with God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, John, you don't know what my day is like. I mean, maybe you can do that because we pay you to go do that. So you can go do that. But that's not happening for me, you know. But the guys on staff will tell you, we can get in that morning and we can have a series of meetings and have a problem that shows up and multiple emails we have to reply. It doesn't matter if I spend time with God. Very quickly, my day is, what do I have to get done and how am I going to make sure that happens? And God's not really in the picture. Somehow I think we've relegated this time with God as something to make us feel good about our day, ease our conscience before God, but really not be about being with God. 
And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to actually do this. I want us to actually slow down and I want us to actually spend a few minutes just quietly with God. And there's a couple elements that are going to come up on the screen that I want to think about. I want you to think about when you spend time with God. The first is this. The first is just to stop. Just to stop. You realize what happens when you stop doing things? You give up control. And for some of us, the only time we do that is when we sleep. And then our brains are running and we're working all kinds of things out. And that's why we can't sleep at night, you know. Because we're still trying to work it out, even though our bodies aren't trying to work it out. But really, this is an issue of trust, is what this is. This is, am I willing to say, God, I'm going to take my hands off of this, my activity off of this, and I'm going to turn this over and let you be the one in charge of this. There's a second component to this, and that's just stillness. Be still and know that I am God, is Psalm 46.10. The word still there is, it literally means to stop churning. Stop churning. You know the thing in the washer, the agitator, at least the older ones, you know, it churns, stirs everything up. And God says, what's it going to take for you to stop churning? What's it going to take? Because when that happens, what do you discover? You meet God again. You meet Him again. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before God and wait patiently for Him. And you may be saying, John, that, that might be a good idea to stop and to sit there, but you don't understand what goes on up here, you know, and, and, and it's still going and it doesn't stop, it doesn't stop, it doesn't stop. And Let me offer you a suggestion that I've read. It's not something I use, but others have said, Maybe it's just a short prayer that you just repeat over and over and over again. The sinner's prayer from Luke 17, which just says, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Reminding yourself of who He is and who I am. The third element is silence. Silence. To just stop talking. Do you know how long an audience can sit in silence before they start to feel uncomfortable? I won't make you do it yet. 15 seconds. 15 seconds before you start to wonder, did, did he forget something? Did somebody forget to move? Somebody lost? Somebody not paying attention? What's going on here? That's how long we can sit quietly. It's amazing when you sit in stillness and you stop and you're quiet where God directs your heart. Most Sunday mornings I get here and um, I'm usually, you know, coming in around 7.30 and I park my car up there and um, they told me when they were getting things ready in here, John, you don't need to come in yet, you can just wait. And so I just sit out there quietly. So this morning I was about to get out of the car and no, I just need to sit quietly and as I sat how am I feeling I feel pretty good good healthy breakfast and good night of rest and I'm feeling pretty good I start to think about what's kind of going on in my life and what emotions I'm feeling I started to realize that I was feeling a bit anxious a lot of stuff happening here at CCC right now and I thought 
I don't want to come in here and be with you and be anxious. I don't want that to be the way I communicate. And I just said, you know, God, I just need you to take that from me. I just need to give that up to you. And I need to let whatever happens this morning, this afternoon, this time that I get to be here to be something that I just turn over to you. One of the practices we've adopted as, a, as a, the worship team finishes their rehearsal in the morning is anybody that's involved in the service will kind of form a huddle back there and we just kind of go over the details. And um, we just stand, after we do that, we just kind of stand for about 30 seconds and just kind of take a deep breath. Because sometimes the mornings could be a little frazzling, you know. We just take a deep breath and just are quiet. And then someone prays and... I know every once in a while Johnny will turn to someone and ask them to pray and uh, now they're all listening to me talking about this. They're going to feel self-conscious, but uh, he'll turn to someone and they'll forget the 30 seconds, you know, and they'll start praying. I'm like, no, 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 stop, stop. We haven't been quiet yet. And I'm like, no, I I don't really do that. I don't interrupt them. But inside, I'm like, we need to just be quiet. We need to just be quiet and just to be quiet in God's presence because it's in the quietness of God's presence where God shows up. There's a story in the Old Testament about a prophet by the name of Elijah, and he was a great man of God, and um, God used him miraculously to defeat um, prophets who had turned the people of Israel away from God, the prophets of Baal, and, but the ruler of the land, Jezebel, she was after his head because he had wiped out all of her prophets, people of Israel had, and so um, he takes off running, he goes far, far away down to the southern part of the land of Israel, and... Um, lays down, falls asleep, God provides him food, he wakes up, he falls asleep again, God provides him a little more food. And then he says, God, where are you in all of this? He says, I feel so lonely, I, I feel like I, I should just die. God, where are you? Where are you? And he looks for God in the, in the fire, and the verse is going to come up on the screen, he looks for God in the fire, and he looks for God in the, in the earthquake, and he looks for God in the wind, ways God has shown up before, and God was nowhere to be found it says, after the fire, there was a gentle whisper. The old King James says, a still, small voice. There's actually, in the Hebrew, there's no word for that. Because how do you come up with a word for silence? There's no Hebrew word for silence. But in the silence is sometimes where God will show up. He will show up. And the last component is Scripture. Scripture, and that's the power of God's truth to impact our minds. We're not just talking about sitting quietly and, you know, and, and, and meditating on nothingness. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about you being quiet and meeting with God and hearing truth from His Word to you, to you. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you about 30 seconds just to sit quietly. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you read a passage of Scripture. I'm going to ask you to turn to it now. It's going to come up on the screen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And what we're going to do is I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to just sit quietly. Say, John, what do I do when I sit quietly? Just think about it where you are right now, how you're feeling, what's going on in your heart, your life. I'll tell you when that comes to an end, and then I'm going to have you read through this passage and ask you to read through it three times. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along. It'll scroll on the screens, and you can read through it then.
As you read through it, I want you to just ask yourself, say, God, what's the word or what's the phrase that you have for me today? Okay? So everybody got it? This is what Everybody said on what we're going to do? So we're going to sit quietly for 30 seconds and then read through the scripture. And we'll just be completely quiet during this time. Okay, let's begin our 30 seconds of silence. Is there a rhythm in our lives where we pause, not just at the beginning, out of obligation, but maybe around lunchtime where we find a little break where maybe it's 20 or 30 seconds or maybe it's three minutes. And then as our day comes to a close and the sun goes down and things are wrapped up, that we just pause to be with God. That's what He wants for us. And he's longing, he's waiting for us to meet with him. If we viewed those times with God as just a mini taste of time with him, God not only wants us to spend time with him throughout the day, but I believe God wants us to do that on a weekly basis. If you're there in your Bibles, turn back to the book of Exodus, if you would, and Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20 is when God gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20, the people of Israel had been slaves for 400 years. And they were coming out of Egypt and God said, let me tell you first of all how I want you to relate to me as your God. You are my chosen people Israel. And then the second, from 5 to 10, I want you to tell you how to relate to each other. And at the end of the, the commandments in which he tells us how to relate to God... Verse 8 is when he says this. He says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son, daughter, male, female servant, animals, or any foreigner who is even staying with you. And here's his reason. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the reason he tells us to do this is follow the example of the Creator. Follow the example of the God who made us, the God who created this world with rhythm, the God who created us with a sense of rhythm. He said, I want you to live life the way that I live life. And after God did the morning and the evening and morning and evening and morning, evening and morning for six days, you remember what he did at the end? It says, he said he rested and he looked at all of his creation and he said, What? It is what? Good. Good. And so God wants our lives to be patterned after that. God wants our lives to follow that example. The word Sabbath simply means to cease, to stop. That's what Sabbath is all about. And he says at the end of that verse, he says, God blessed that day and he made it holy. And the word holy simply means separate or distinct, unlike any other day. He said, you will have six days to do all the things that you need to do, but will you take one day and make that day different than any other day in the way that it gets practiced? You see, Sabbath is a day when we enjoy good food, good relationships, beauty of God's creation. Sabbath calls us to build doing nothing into our schedule. I talked to someone a while ago, and they told me that they like working. I was like, well, that's good. I like my work, too. They're like, no, I like working even as a hobby. I was like, I don't. 
God says, you need to have one day where you build into your schedule doing nothing. You've heard me talk about Sabbath. You've heard me talk about it this way, that Sabbath should be a day filled with want-tos and not have-tos. Want-tos and not have-tos. And so if there are people that you feel like you have to spend time with, you can tell them that my pastor gave me permission to say, no, not today, maybe another time. Just don't give them my email or phone number. They'll track me down anyways. You You know? If there's obligations or expectations, there's six days for us to get all of that stuff done. God says, I have one day that I want you to enjoy. Because that's what I did. That's what I did. I worked hard. I created all this amazing thing that we can enjoy. And then one day just to enjoy what I have done. And so just like I gave you four things before, I want to give you four things that are part of Sabbath. The first is just simply stopping. Stopping. And remember how we talked about when you pause in your day, it's an issue of trust. For you to celebrate Sabbath, it is a big issue of trust. Huge issue of trust. To say, will I turn over everything in my life to God and just take a step back on one day? There's a story told of wagon trains that were traveling in the pioneer days from St. Louis to Oregon. And when they were making this trip, after they got out of St. Louis the first week out, they were looking at the timeline and they had to get past a certain place before the storms for the winter would come in. And they said, we've got to push through, we've got to push through. And this huge conflict broke out on the wagon train because half the group said, no, we have to take a day for the animals to rest, to to do repairs just for us to rest. And the other one said, no, we have to push through. And so they divided themselves into two groups. And guess which group made it to Oregon first? The group that took a day to rest. Because that is how God has designed us to function. And when we violate that function in a culture that says we are 24-7 and you have access to everything all the time, anytime you want it, and you just go, 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 we violate at the core who God has made us to be. The second thing is rest. Rest. Um, Rest means take naps, long naps, with no alarm clock. That's what Sabbath should be about. That's a part of it. Um. But there's rest from other things. And I want to read you a list of some things I want to challenge you to consider resting from. Resting from doing paperwork. Resting from physical exhaustion. Resting from hurriedness. Resting from multitasking. Resting from competitiveness. Resting from worry. Maybe I should say that again. Resting from worry. Maybe a third time. Resting from worry. How about resting from decision making? Resting from errands. And here's the tough one. Resting from technology. Technology doesn't cause us to feel rested. It causes us to feel frazzled. That's what it does to us. And I know we live in a culture that's so heavily reliant on that. If you try to email me or call me from about Sunday afternoon till about Monday about six, about 6 o'clock, you probably won't get a reply from me because that's my Sabbath window. And during that time, I enjoy time with my family. We hang out together. My wife and I often will go for a long walk with our dog that drives us crazy, but we do it anyways for the good of the dog, I guess. I don't know, but we wear out after about 40 minutes. you know. Casual, no pace, no time to get anywhere. We just walk. 
through our town. Monday morning for me, the house is quiet and empty. And so um, for me, it's a time of silence. I told some of you this. I usually sit by myself quietly in silence for about four hours. Now, some of you are thinking, I would lose my mind. I don't. I'm still here. Um, I try not to read a whole lot. Read a little bit. Just try to sit quietly. Sometimes I just sit in the yard quiet, unhurried, unrushed. In the afternoon, my wife and I will usually go out to lunch and spend some time just being together with one another. So I don't know what that time window looks like for you, but I want to challenge you to say, what is a 24-hour window of time in in our week where we put life on pause? The third component is delight. Delight. And we talked about this. We talked about at the end when God created, He said it was good and He enjoyed it. And the Sabbath is all about enjoying the things that God has blessed us with. That's where we slow life down. We enjoy creation. We enjoy relationships. We enjoy things of beauty. We enjoy making, you know, if making a meal is something you enjoy, then you make a great meal. If you don't like to make a great meal, then they're eating leftovers that day, you know, or somebody's made it in advance. Spend time playing with one another, just enjoying the people that God has blessed you with. And the last one is contemplate. Contemplate. And this is just a reflection of what is significant about this time and what is to come. In Genesis chapter 1, when God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says that, that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the earth. And then God created the sun to separate the day from the night. And that began rhythms. In Revelation 22, this all changes. It all changes. Look at the verse on the screen. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need a light, the light of a lamp, or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. You know what Sabbath is? Sabbath is giving us a taste of what eternity will be like. It's like being in the kitchen and, and then someone's made something. They're like, here, taste this. And you're like, you taste it like, huh, when can I have more? When's it going to be ready? I can't wait, you know. And that's what Sabbath is all about. We turn things over to God. We say, you're in charge. I'm not. And we get a taste of what is to come. And that's what God is inviting us into. You say, John, I don't, I don't know how in the world to do this. I'm not sure even where to start. Well, You have to be intentional about this. It's not just going to happen. This year, my daughter is finishing up her first year as a teacher. And if you know anything about teachers, your first year is your most demanding year. Lots of preparation. You're starting from scratch with everything. And so when she started her first week, she came to me and she said, Dad, I don't know how I'm going to get this all done. I said, what do you mean, Alicia? And she said, I I just, I'm, 
you know, I get home, I eat dinner, I work nonstop, get everything ready, and then it's time to start all over again, and, and, and I just, I, I don't have time to stop. I don't have time. I said, no, I said, you can't do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, you've got to find a way to make your 24-hour Sabbath. And as we began to talk about that, we began to discuss when the best time and when the best rhythm in her life and in her week was for her to say, 24 hours during this time, I'm going to set all of those things aside and just enjoy the good things that God has given to me. And so we came up with a 24-hour time period, and I think if you asked her most weeks, she's been able to do that. And she's been able to get all of her work done and be able to enjoy the life that she has. And I tell you that story to illustrate for you that you won't be able to make this happen unless you sit down and think about it and are intentional and come up with a plan. I don't know if you know this, but most Orthodox Jews that celebrate Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, most of them take a few hours before the sun goes down to get all the bills paid and all the errands taken care of and all the meal prepped and everything there, and then they're ready to enjoy Sabbath. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, in my life, it's divided up. It's not all connected like that. But this is a gift. You, I, I hope you view Sabbath as a gift that God has to offer to you. Of a taste of what He has to come. And that you'll cultivate that rhythm in your life in such a way that will, it will give you energy and it will give you life and it will give you passion to pour out who He is to you in the lives of the people that He surrounds you with for the rest of your week. Let's bow our heads in prayer as we close this morning. God, I thank you that you model for us what this rhythm of life looks like. And, and we've talked about these rhythms and reading throughout the Old Testament, it's just packed full of this pace of life that even in an ancient Near Eastern culture where this was part of how they lived life, God says, be intentional about it. And Lord, in our culture and in our pace, it doesn't reflect this at all. And God, it sometimes makes me wonder if that is why it's hard for others who don't know Jesus and who don't have a relationship with Him, don't really see anything different about our lives. They just see us hurried. They just see us frazzled. They just see us racing from one thing to another. And we don't really have much to offer in this life. And so God, I wonder how it would impact our lives if we found a way to develop a daily rhythm to pause to be with you and a weekly rhythm to enjoy all the good things that you have blessed us with in our lives in such a way that we get a taste of what eternity will be like. God, that's what you have to offer. And I pray that that would be our heart in pursuing that.